Today's episode has a bit of swearing and some discussion of racist language. It's so free. I, yeah, I honestly reckon, I think everyone should work retail or hospitality once in their life and everyone should do drag once in their life and I think the world would be a better place. <laughs> I think that's a really, really good motto for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode three of the Bosom Podcast. I'm Lucy Hicks-Beach and I'm on a quest to find out how women, non-binary and gender non-conforming people have influenced and shaped our thoughts and lives. In a world where women's contributions are often disregarded, I want to learn more about how and how much they have impacted the people we are and the society we live in. To do this, I am talking to guests about how people of marginalised genders have influenced their lives, identities and understandings of the world. Today, I have Chiara Gavrielli, who is talking to me all the way from sunny and free Melbourne. <laughs> oh no, not Melbourne. Who's talking to me from the sunny and free Adelaide. She is a performer in every aspect of the word. She is a poet, an actor, a puppeteer and a drag king. Hello, Chiara. Hello. Oh, uh, what an honour to be talking to somebody in the free world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. It's so nice to see you, honestly. So good. How are you doing over there? Are you surviving? Oh, surviving, thriving. Great. You know, just living the dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so today we are talking about people's experiences of gender and life for women and gender non-conforming people. And I'm talking to you in the middle of the Adelaide Fringe. Yes. And so I've I've only been to the Edinburgh Fringe and I don't know if it's the same at the Adelaide Fringe, but the Fringe seems to be this like amazing space for people to explore gender, like fluidity and their relationship with that. Do you find that? I mean, it's it's literally the modern version of running away and joining the circus, I think. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like there's always, same as Edinburgh Fringe, there's like two levels going on. There's the the surface of that most people see of the comedians and the shows and the tickets. And then there's this wonderful, like, dark <laughs> underlay of all the performers <laughs> and the 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 front of house staff and everyone who for example we haven't been able to dance in Adelaide up until two nights ago and the freedom that suddenly happens when you can dance with people and you can move your bodies and I'm like this is what I've missed is just being around people and not feeling judged fringe and festivals is is where it's at I just I miss it so much um so I'm glad that it's back I hope it's back for you sometime soon how amazing that you can (laughs) dance with people that Mm. is just it sounds like a kind of another world. <laughs> Before we get started, I'd love to talk a bit about your drag persona, yeah. Bruno. <laughs> yes, Bruno Salsicce. Um <laughs> He is a, like, greasy, tries really hard to be woke kind of fuckboy. <laughs> he's, kind, he's ridiculously charming so that he kind of gets away with anything. The first ever actually professional theatre production I ever did it was a role that you needed to be both, uh, you were a set of twins, male for the first half and female for the second half. And that was similar to Bruno, but he was much younger and less overtly sexual, I would say. 
Um, but I just had so much fun doing that character. And I remember I didn't even get asked to audition. I asked to audition. I was like, you need to let me audition for this. I was like, I, I need to, I can do this. I need you to see me. And I just had so much fun. I was like, I got to be so gross. I got to like show my body hair in a way I didn't normally get to show my body hair. And I had the best fucking time. And then it actually took me a while. That was a couple, like maybe nearly four, four years ago. It took me a while to start doing drag again. It wasn't until lockdown. I'd done a little bit here and there, but nothing serious. And then in lockdown, I really started to do it more and more. There was a lot of like online competitions and I just had so much fun. And I'll be as Bruno in pretty much in like jocks and my boobs are taped down into my pits and I'm pretty much naked and I feel totally fine and comfortable. But if you ask me to do that as Kiara, there's no way I'd be able to do that. <laughs> there's something about the like the mask of of Bruno that I'm I'm gross. I'm like I, I can't flirt in person. Um, like you can ask at least my partner or anyone. I cannot flirt to save myself. Whereas Bruno is <laughs> the biggest flirt ever. So I find it so freeing, and I I feel like everyone should do drag at some point because it really changes so much how you think about your body and how it feels and even it doesn't mean you have to be a different gender like you know you could be hyper feminine if you're if you identify as a woman like even that is sometimes really interesting of like yeah what if I put all this makeup on and huge lashes and a big wig like how does that make me feel so yeah he's a lot of fun he he's a kind of um so this word actually means I think something different in the UK so I need to be careful but the word wog in Australia is like a derogatory term towards Italian and Greek and like European immigrants. Um, I think in the UK it has like a, a gollywog connection when, at least when I was in the UK and saying it, people were like, maybe don't say that. So I don't mean it in that context. I acknowledge that that is um, a, a very serious term to use, but he his for what is called in Australia, like a wog boy. So his mum takes care of him a lot. He he never has to cook. He never has to wash. And I, my brother, my brother, who is a lovely person, was used to be a little bit like that. My ex boyfriends <laughs> used to be like that. And I was just like, you guys are so weird. You live this life acting like you're a king, and you can't even cook for yourself. <laughs> so I just have a lot of fun being him and being a bit hopeless and pathetic, but charming at the same time. The stuff I've watched you're just it's hilarious <laughs> the stuff you do and it just yeah exactly what you're saying it just sounds it like looks freeing to be able to do that to be able to I don't know especially if it's that kind of man that you've watched while you're growing up and just be able to like <laughs> settle into that it's just it's I'd so free <laughs> I yeah I honestly reckon I think everyone should work retail or hospitality once in their life and everyone should do drag once in their life and I think the world would be a better place <laughs> I think that's a really really good motto for everyone yeah. to live by <laughs> correct so the kind of premise of this podcast is that I want to find out about how women non-binary and gender non-conforming people have influenced us because I think we hear a lot about how men have shaped the world so what I have asked you to do is to pick four people who have somehow influenced you. And I've asked you to pick them from specific categories. And these categories are a fictional character, somebody that you don't know, a childhood or teenage icon or role model, and somebody that you know personally. Did you find it okay choosing these people? Uh, when you first said it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, easy. And then when I actually had to sit down and think about it, it was challenging because I think actually a lot of the first thoughts that I had were men. And I was like, this is kind of fucked that so much of my identity is celebrating being a woman in so many ways. And I'm like, this is so interesting. 
And then I think I found the, ch- the childhood ones particularly hard. I grew up in a family surrounded by men. And so I've actually had a lot of male mo- role models. So that was really interesting. But yeah, I found it a little bit more challenging than I was expecting, to be honest. Mm. Well, you've chosen really great people. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about them. The first person I would love to talk to you about is a fictional character that has influenced you in some way. Would you like to tell us a bit about the person you've chosen? Yes. Her name is Alana of Tree, Treeborn, Tree Law. Oh gosh, I'm going to even suffer it on. But she, she's a character, she's the main character in The Lioness Quartet, which is this um, fictional four book series that I read. How old was I? I think I was like 10 to 13 as I was reading it. So it took me quite a while to read it. It's a real thick book. And I was obsessed. But it's about this young girl. She's a twin. And her brother's going to become a priest. And she could, she has to become a nun. And then maybe she'll choose to get married. before, Or she can choose to stay with the church. They're her two choices. And she was like, absolutely fuck that. So while they're like <laughs> on this middle of the road, in the middle of nowhere, they trick their like people that watch them as kids. And they convince them that she's going to pretend to be a boy. And she's going to learn to become a knight. And me reading this in my like sheltered little anxiety ridden bedroom <laughs> was like blown <laughs> away by this. I thought she was the most coolest person ever. And she gets away with it for nearly the entire like four years that she has to be there. And what really blew me away the most is like, uh, so she fought, one of her best friends is the prince. Uh, and she mm-hmm. falls in love with him and he finds out that she's a girl and she falls in, and he falls in love with her. And that's kind of nice. But then, it, and she also at the same time, because this is a fantasy book, she also falls in love with the King of Thieves. So she's kind of got this like love triangle going on. And she had this like whole chapter where she has to decide who she's going to be with. And she realizes that she doesn't want to be with the prince because then she's going to have to be a princess. And she's like, that's not going to be my life. I don't want to be that. I've gone all this way to be a knight. I want to be like riding around my horse, saving people and swinging my sword and shit. And so she like has this wonderful conversation with the prince and they end up still being friends. And she like has this wonderful life for the king of thieves. That she's the first woman to become a a woman knight and blah 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 blah. but that shook me to my core that I was like <laughs> what do you mean you're not going to take the boy with the the good job and the good family and all the money and, <laughs> and like you're going to go marry a criminal the king of thieves like what are you doing and yeah she was just such a badass she was like risking death like if they found her they were going to kill her and I, that just blew me away I didn't think that was even possible so yes yeah, I was obsessed with these books I read them like four or five times I, this is so cheesy, but like the day that she gets her first period, they tell you the exact date. And I was like, oh my God, waiting for that day to come. Cause I was like, this is when I will get my first period. Cause we are in sync with the same person. I was obsessed with her. And I think it kind of, it, it, it just influenced me in a way of just kind of going for it a little bit in a way that I think I'm still trying to learn how to do of like, don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry about being scared. Just do it and figure it out as you go. It's kind of amazing that at 10, I know I would have de- I was definitely the same at that age, but it seems so young to have like internalized that idea that the shock of not wanting to be with a prince. Yes, it's so weird. At ten years old, it shook me to my core. And apologies, I've just spoiled the. It's not the main twist, but it's it's one twist in the book. Apologies, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny, right? Like at ten years old, when I would have been even way too scared to even talk to a boy, that I'd already made judgment on like who she's supposed to spend the rest of her life with. That's so strange. Yeah. I think it's also on the kind of on the flip side of that it's amazing how young people and I think really specifically at that age where that kind of preteen, when you're starting to kind of be aware of the world how 
really actively you can be affected by a book and how obsessed and how much it can directly have influence and impact on you because you have like you saying about wanting to get your period on the same day it's just like it kind of shows how important it is to be pointing good role models even if they're fictional Mm. towards young people absolutely because it's like your whole world I mean maybe it's different now because there's the internet and there's Netflix and YouTubers and influencers and stuff but mm. when I was that age, books and, yes, TV shows and things, but they were all that I really had. Um, and so, like, those books meant so much to me. That's how I kind of almost learned about the world. Mm. And it's so important, so important. Also, when I think about your character, you are so headstrong and confident and seemingly assured of yourself. <laughs> it's really nice to hear about you looking up to those characteristics as a child because you've definitely definitely (laughs) seemed to have thank you grown into those for me no one really taught me like it's it's scary and you may stuff up but you're gonna kind of do it anyway and so like that to me I think is something that I got the most from that book and from Alana it's a conscious decision you're never gonna I'm an incredibly anxious person so the confidence is me actively trying to be confident um, mm. And it's like a decision that you have to make. I'm putting on my confidence face today or I'm just going to, yep, I'm terrified. I'm probably going to fuck it up, but I'm going to do it anyway. What a great person to speak about first. <laughs> <laughs> the next person I'd like to talk to you about is your childhood or teenage role model. Mm-hmm. And you have gone for your, I would almost class internet famous nonna. <laughs> That's so funny because my nonna doesn't even really know what the internet is. So that's hilarious. That's just famous. <laughs> you were saying earlier about kind of growing up in this very male household. Do you think that being like one of few like girls and women in a family, do you think that has like strengthened your relationship with your nonna? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my nonna, she was born in Italy and she came here. And just to put in context... I don't know what is, if it's in the genes in my family or what, but she had, oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong now, uh, three brothers, four brothers, three or four. Oh, sorry, Nonna, I've forgotten. She met my nonno, my grandfather, and he was like, I want to I wanna marry you. And all her brothers said no. And he's like, well, I'll take her to Australia then. And they're like, okay, do that then. Go have a better life, go. So they had a whirlwind. They got here, they got married, and then they were living in a – uh, like there would be homes for all the men who would come to Australia before they could get homes themselves. So it was like a boarding house. So they ran a boarding house. So my nonna was around all these men all the time. Then she had two sons. And then she, then uh, out of the grandkids, I'm the oldest and I'm the only girl. And then there's three other grandsons. So out of all her family, she has one female cousin and she has me. They're <laughs> the only oh women gosh. that are related to her. She has, and my, like my mum, who's her daughter-in-law, and my aunt, who's her daughter-in-law, she, there's other female, but in terms of that's related to her, there's only two people. So um, I like to think that I'm the favourite. I'm sure my cousins yeah. and my brothers, would, my brother would disagree. Um, but I, th- I think so, because I was the first grandchild, and I was the girl, there's a girl after she had two sons. Um, we've kind of always had a, a special connection and I just love her so much. She's one of my favorite people on, on this planet. While we look, we look a bit similar. We've got like a, the same cheeks and stuff. We are very different, but she's so, so humble and so kind and just has this total air of confidence about her. That I think only a life of 
literally turning your life upside down at 20 and living somewhere on the other side of the world, not knowing if you're going to see a family again, can mm-hmm. get, can give you. Yes, she's 90 now. She's about to turn 91. And she still lives at home. I was literally making gnocchi with her yesterday. She cannot be held down. She, she like, literally can barely move her arms anymore but still, like, mashes potatoes somehow and still has a whole veggie <laughs> garden. And you cannot tell her no. Like, she's so stubborn. But I kind of love that about her, that she... But I think one of the things I've learned so much about her and watching her as I've been growing up is this ability of like, she's going to listen, she's going to take in all the information, but then she's going to, at the end of the day, it's her decision, whatever the decision is. And once she's made that decision, she's like, no, that's it. She's she's very sure of herself. Um, mm. And I think that's that's a hard thing to do. And I think she's just, especially the life that she's had being around all these men and off and didn't was living somewhere where she didn't speak the language that she had to really trust her gut and trust her instincts of like, no, I've thought about it. This is the decision. This is what I'm going with. Oh, I just love her. Like (laughs) I just love her so much. (laughs) She will, she will live, outlive us all. Like she, she barely batted an eye during uh, the peak of coronavirus here. She's like, no, well, we just, everyone stay home. That's it. We just all stay home. Yeah, I mean, she's taught me many things. She's taught me so many recipes that I am a terrible cook. But just the importance of, like, you know, having people over and cooking for them or, like, actually, like, how important family is and making time for family and in a way that feels very genuine and very, like, the way I'm going to show my love is by making this thing for you and caring for you. Even though, like, sometimes if we're not going to speak the same language or if she can't understand me, it's like we will just, we're just going to make this food and eat this food and that's going to be a connection for us and that feels really nice and I feel like it sounds really cheesy but it's not cheesy I food is such a powerful demonstration Mm. of affection Mm. it's kind of I know lots of people and especially lot I was about to say lots of older people not even older people I think lots of my friends they use it as their kind of um it's like it's like a love language Mm. absolutely this might be the wrong interpretation of it but being a female head of a male dominated family I think a person who's cooking is both like the carer and the leader yes oh yeah she's the matriarch you cannot mess with her there's no arguing with her and like she's the leader and I think it's it's, it is really interesting and I have a lot of complex thoughts around the like gender roles within this Italian Australian family dynamic that Mm. my family has and in some ways it's incredibly frustrating because you know the women are in the kitchen and the men the men sit down the table's already set everything's already cooked and they drink and like, my nonna won't sit down until everything's cooked. So often she's eating cold food after the rest of us and you, like, cannot, you cannot get her to, to not do that. And so in some ways it's incredibly frustrating and, like, once the meal's done, it's the women that get the t- that get up the all the dishes and, and do the dishes and whatever. But then also at the same time, like you said, there's, to- there's power within, the, like, the person who's cooking the food and the person who's bringing everyone together and... Like people are coming at her table and they're like, they're eating her food and they're complimenting on her food. There's some, there is a power in that in some way. And so while I still think the the boys should help and the men should help with dishes, I'm not saying that they get off scot-free. Yeah. But I'm saying there is, I think it's often because it's considered, you know, woman women's business that it's often brushed aside as something that's not important or significant. But it's incredibly powerful. And I think as, a, as Australia is a very interesting place in terms of multiculturalism. It has it has deep-rooted racism that still happens. The way cultures, whether it's a good way or not, but the way cultures get upset, accepted here is through food. And so if it wasn't for all these Italian women cooking all this amazing food, 
you know, I don't think the Australian mm. culture would have accepted them as as they did eventually, you know. And so mm. it's I, the women's work, the power of cooking is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, uh, I, know, I don't know if this is like a, like an old fashioned and appropriate way of looking at things, but there's in contrast to when a, a, a man is a leader of a family, it's demonstrated through exertions of power. Yeah. 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 Again, what you're saying, it's not that all the men should just happily sit there and accept that they don't need to do the washing up. But I think there's also relevance in looking at how traditional feminine roles have huge importance in the structure of family and the structure of society, even if they're less loud and less overbearing than the way men perform that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yes, your nonna basically <laughs> sounds like an amazing chef, matriarch, legend. She is a legend. I yeah. Uh I love her to bits. I would everyone should have her gnocchi at some point in their life <laughs> so far this i'm saying everyone should work hospitality everyone should do drag and everyone should eat my nonna's gnocchi <laughs> you should write a manifesto <laughs> i should hello live your life according to me <laughs> i would read it <laughs> thank <It'd> you <laughs> um the next person we're talking about is somebody that you don't know personally you have gone for Janelle Monet. Oh, Janelle Monet. Um, the reason I chose them, um, uh, actually, I'm just going to double check what pronouns they use. Has no pro. Okay, so I. What for, this is what I thought. She she's come out as non-binary, but um, has no pronoun preferences. So uses mm-hmm. all the pronouns. Great. Um, if you don't know Janelle Monet, just, you need to listen to Janelle Monet. I don't know how else to tell you this to you. You need to listen to this, to them. I'd heard of them for a little while, but what really got me onto them was in 2018, I want to say, I could be wrong, 2018, they released an album called Dirty Computer that coincided with me realizing that I was queer and kind of ending a, a really long-term relationship and kind of exploring my my queerness. And it just kind of all happened at the same time that this album came out and this happened. And that entire album is about uh, about queerness, about female sexuality. Um, it tells a lot into about what it's like to being um, a woman of colour in America, um, which obviously I cannot um, identify with, but that, that – that feeling of power and that feeling of um, uh, really having to like work and own your body and your sexuality and your identity and that being something that you have to like work at and it's not just given to you. It was something that really resonated Mm. with me. And I just love, there's this very, I mean, she's very cool and all of her outfits are incredible. Like she just looks stunning all the time. Um, But there's Mm. this very relaxed kind of, almost nonchalant nature of their queerness that I really resonated with. I realised that I was queer quite late in the game. (laughs) Um, I was (laughs) like 25 um, and realised, which is, you know, it's still relatively young, but some people realise when they're like 10, it's like, (laughs) I had no idea. And I kind of really related to this 
her this attitude of she's very celebratory in her music and also kind of just like this is who I am and it's not doesn't have to be this big torment this is who I am and I think it's worth celebrating and it was it's whenever I listen to that album it just takes me back to that time of being absolutely terrified on the one hand but also being completely excited and feeling free and feeling like oh my god this is I think there's a lot of stories around coming out and discovering your queerness that are very painful, um, are very stressful, and and it was, and it's, and in some ways it still is. But also it was so much fun and so exciting. Mm. Yeah, I'd been in a relationship pretty much like on and off with uh, the same guy for nearly ten years, and to kind of break away from that and to really feel like for the first time that I got to like explore who I was and like explore like flirting with women for the first time, which is the most terrifying and wonderful thing <laughs> that I've ever done. Yeah, it was so joyous in many ways. And, and when, it, when I think of that album, it makes me feel really happy and really joyful. And I, I often think of, you know, if I'm having a particularly stressful day or I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable in who I am or whatever, I'll think about Janelle Monae and be like, what would, Janelle, mm-hmm. what would she tell me right now? She'd probably tell me to not worry about yeah. it, to like be kind to myself and just to move on anyway. Um, you could get one of those, you know, those WWJD bracelets. So like, what would Jesus do? Yes. You could get it. But you know, what would Janelle, it, Janelle so. do? I wouldn't even have to change it. And I think as a performer and as a creative, I also, they've been around for years and like we were saying, I think totally underappreciated, but they just keep on making art and keep on making ridiculously good art. Their music, the Dirty Computer is also a visual album, so you can like, the music clips um, kind of like tell this whole movie and it's kind of really powerful that even though they may not be getting quote unquote commercial success or mainstream success, that they keep on doing their work and keep on being true to themselves like that's really inspiring that takes guts and that they've been doing it for years she was just lumped in the like two different two weird basket and she was like no well like this is who I am this is what I and she just kept on going kept on doing it kept on working at it kept on sticking to her to herself Mm. I I mean she's doing great I'm making it sound like she's struggling she's doing great she's (laughs) but the level of the work and the songs and I love her Mm. (laughs) I believe I could be wrong, but I believe Janelle identifies as pansexual, identifies bisexual, but this idea of like it being fluid and you don't need to make a decision and you don't need to feel like absolutely I'm 100% this person and this is who I'm attracted to and this like that stuff may be important to you and if that helps you, great. That's that's fine not to take that away from you, but also don't stress about that. Like you might fall in love with this person one year and then fall in love with someone who identifies completely differently another time and that's fine. And I think at that time when I was, I was feeling so much like, oh, I've come out so late. I don't know. Am I, am I, um, am I a butch person? I'm a lipstick. I don't know. What are the labels? What do they mean? I don't know. Um, it was so nice to kind of have that happening at the same time as, as this incredible album that was like, don't worry about it. Just, just, just dance, just enjoy yourself. That's the most important thing. Yeah. She's quite a freeing, like, icon to have because they're, in one way, labels are really helpful in terms of being able to work out who you are and where you fit in and kind of existing in a society that is very obsessed with labels. Mm-hmm. To be able to label can actually be a really powerful thing. But at the same time, having somebody like Janelle Monet who's like, babe, labels, like, labels from labels. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I think at a time, like you said, when 
we're, we're a very um, like ident- identity focused society at the moment. Like it's all about how you identify and what what boxes you tick on a form describing who you are. And like that stuff is is incredibly important and significant in many ways. But also at the same time, like sometimes you just don't know or like sometimes it changes and like that's okay. You don't – if you spoke to me mm. uh, 10 years ago when I was 18, uh, I mean in some – it's very interesting. I think in some ways when I look back at that, I was like, no, I was straight at that time. And I mean that's a tricky thing to, whether I always was or wasn't. I, I kind of don't, don't really care. But when I look back at it, I'm like if you'd asked me then, I would have said absolutely I'm straight and not had even thought about it for a second. Um and so, like, people change and that's okay. Or, or like, you might not know where you fit in and you're just kind of floating and making out with whoever you want to make out with and that's also okay. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, labels are important, um, but they shouldn't be taken too seriously also. Yeah, I totally agree. So the last person we're going to talk about is somebody that you know and I'm just gonna hand over to you on this one (laughs) yes so this is a dear friend of mine but I'm I'm not going to mention their name because the reason they've influenced my life so much is because of us going through very similar personal things at the same time and so I don't want to um part of it is their story to tell yeah but uh, at a similar time in my life when I'd ended this relationship and I was realizing my queerness I also started working more heavily in the festival circuit and I was thinking more seriously about maybe I didn't want to live in Adelaide anymore. Maybe I wanted a different life for myself. Like I think up until that point I had just assumed that I had to live in Adelaide and then I had to work in certain jobs and do certain things and at that time of my life it was kind of like everything is up for grabs. And I think Mm -hmm. part of the courage that I had to make those decisions came from this dear person and we met we met working at a festival in Adelaide and it's one of those like magical rare friendships where like within two weeks of knowing each other, you feel like you've known each other your whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think working festivals do that with with people. I mean, you and I have worked a festival together, like it's just madness. Yeah. And so you just bond with people so quickly because you're like, I've not mm-hmm. slept in two days and yeah. um, all I've eaten is hot chips and I haven't drank any water. <laughs> but yeah, I I felt a real bond with this person and they I like I used to like to say that they were like me 6 months in the future. So things that I had just gone through like a breakup or discovering queerness or like working outside of my hometown and that kind of thing, they had already done that just 6 months earlier. And so I was like, "Oh my god, mm. you're incredible. Like how how did you even do this? How did you even like and you're you're and you're fully fledged and still standing you the whole world hasn't crumbled (laughs) and it's so simple right like I think this you know there's a lot of discussion about why representation matters but it's so simple is that all it took was I could see one person who had already faced all the fears that I was looking at and had done it and was still yeah was still a person living their life was mostly okay so that was huge for me and I and I'd been friends with queer people before like I owe a lot of my uh my confidence in being queer to them as well but there was something about this this one person this friend that it was just in that moment hearing someone going through something so similar and talking about it quite proudly and being totally comfortable in themselves I think that's what it was is they were totally comfortable in themselves they didn't feel like they made the wrong decision or anything that it made me feel totally fine to make the decisions that I needed to make 
Yeah, and I think again, it it this is you know why representation matters, and like yeah. I hadn't seen that story on screen, I hadn't read that book, I hadn't um, heard a song about what I was going through, I had no context of what to do, and I think if I hadn't met this person, I maybe wouldn't have made, I maybe wouldn't have had the courage to make these decisions that I had, and yeah, and so like while you know we're talking about people who have influenced their lives and, like, people like Janelle Monet or this um, fictional character, these kind of, like, bigger concepts of a person. Mm. Honestly, I think one of the biggest effects influence someone has had is just being, like, a really good mate, you know? Yeah. And so while female role models are definitely important, you know, female friendships are important, female working relationships are important because that's where you make the decisions is those everyday moments. Yeah. I, I ap- yeah. apologise that I can't be more specific, but... No, no. Yeah, she's is it's such a good egg and just really helped me out when I was whew, really scared. <laughs> People often put... I don't know what the verb be. Like, they two-dimensionalise the importance of female friendships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, my gal pals, like, nights out with the gals... And they're kind of seen as this really aesthetic. Yeah, totally. They're not not under... It's not even that they're undervalued. They're just often viewed as this kind of... Things for parties or... Like um, trivial or like... like, Trivial. Yeah. yeah. They're like a a side to your Mm -hmm. real life. Mm -hmm. Your real life is about your family and your romantic relationships. And actually, I feel like I'm just repeating what you said, but there's so, so much value in those really deep friendships that you can build with other women and there's so much more than people often give yeah give value to absolutely I feel like you you know you hear all the time about like they're my boys they're my brothers like do or die kind of men- mentality that's also important but I, yeah I totally agree that I think female fr- friendships are incredibly trivialized that it's it's just girls hanging around, bitching and, you know, talking about cute boys and whatever. But as someone, I went to, my entire schooling experience was at an all-girls school the whole way through. And it was uh, horrific in many times. But the friendships mm. that I have from those experiences are friendships that I'll have with me forever. And I think it's the same within, like, queer friendships. You, you don't have to explain what it's like to yeah. when you're at work and you've got a period cramps to someone else who has a uterus or, like... Um, explaining what it's like being at a straight club for the first time in five years or whatever it is, you don't really have to explain that to that person. They instantly get it. And that's so important. That's so important. Yeah, I hadn't. it wasn't until you just said it that I was like, oh, yeah, all those movies about women, friendships and stuff, they totally trivial, trivialise it. And actually, it's so important. It's so important. And, yeah. like, historically, if you look at it, that's how, like, you know, like midwives and stuff were born was through women teaching each other how to, dual mm. how to give birth like that stuff is so important yeah everyone your your friends are important is the, the the message that I'm giving but yeah I don't know if you're a British Love Island fan <laughs> but there was one girl on there once who she said something like oh I just don't make friends with other girls mm. and that's often seen as so like if someone says that it's like the girls are too much drama like mm. I'm too cool for the girls I'm not like them and actually, I think people who dismiss female relationships are missing out on something so huge. And like you said, a relationship that can change your life and, like, the person that you're becoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, female friendships, I think, are undervalued but could never be overrated. Yes. <laughs> hype them up. Never, never stop the hype. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for talking to me, Kiara. This has just been 
so nice. And it's just so nice to talk to somebody on the other side of the world because <laughs> I've only talked to people inside my house for about a year. Um, but yeah, I really hope that you write your manifesto because <laughs> I will be there <laughs> at the front. I'll dedicate it to you. <laughs> Hopefully I'll speak to you soon. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. It's honestly, yeah, it's really made me think about some things. So thank you so much. Speaking to Kiara, whilst also making me painfully jealous that she's able to go out dancing, was, as always, a joy. Thank you to her and also to Ali and Helly Shilson, who recorded all the lovely music. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you'll come back for more. Thank you.